Hey, Mickey. Hi, everybody. Oh my gosh, the joy I've just been having. I'm so filled with gratitude. And like I was just saying to you right before we started was that this is a dream of mine. And I'm so like, I'm so proud of this. And I'm so excited every time that we decide to record. Um, The mascots are here. I hear them. (laughs) Hello, mascots. Welcome back to uh, our very next episode in part one of season two, Dark Matters, where we are talking with people who have dedicated lots of time and love and energy and passion to sharing grief, creating community, really building amazing platforms of, of support and connection to our community. And today we have had the great pleasure of speaking with the grave woman. Mm-hmm. The grave woman, Joelle Simone Anthony. I am so excited for this conversation because, you know, Black women in death care is something that was kind of a foreign concept to me beforehand. Like, we know that it's happening in the background, it's like a background app, but we don't know that all of these things are happening. And for me, representation matters so much in everything that we do. So this conversation was a pleasure just because finding out information that is accessible, but it's not used or it's not, you know, it's like you are educating people in your field about, (laughs) you know. Oh, so many things. I mean, this is a prolific educator. She's talking about spiritual funeral planning. She, I mean, really from while you're still alive, making plans, considering all the way through like logistical planning, but also what a celebration of life would look like. Absolutely. How can you best be represented in death? Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, succeeding in mortuary school, Mm -hmm. really. And I, again, hadn't thought about the stigma Mm -hmm. around people who wanted to practice in that line of work. I mean, it really, I I think my favorite part of this whole conversation was when I was like, you have got me thinking. And she was like, that's why I do this. Like the look on your face right now is absolutely why I do what I do. Right. It's it's so incredible. And for me being a Black woman and being reconnected to my roots and being reconnected to the way we previously celebrated one's life or tended to them in their death and connecting those dots. It's just, it's such a beautiful circle like that we've, that we've completed here. It's like we're coming to this work. I am doing the death doula work and doing the grief guide work and doing, you know, there's so many avenues that we're in right now that we are all showing up and that we're all reconnecting to our roots within. And like, so that representation, again, it's such a beautiful thing to see. It was such a beautiful conversation to have. Um, If you all are uncomfortable with talking about death and planning, uh, this is- And you have found the wrong fucking podcast, y'all. This is not the episode (laughs) for you. (laughs) So maybe sit this one out. But we're going hard here with Reef After Dark and season two in Dark Matters. And we will be talking about planning your own celebration of life, reconnecting with your roots and getting in touch with how you do life and how you do, you know, your planning for your death. And I can't think of any a more, a, a more beautiful way, you know, having had to tend to my daughter and learning 
the things that I learned after she died, the things that I could have done myself, mm -hmm. I would have chosen that. I would have chosen it immediately. I have to say, to this day, that is one of the most incredible celebration of life rituals I have ever experienced. Really, mm -hmm. like I think about it. That yeah. was a, that was an incredible day. I really that was a that was a hell of a celebration. Gosh, even I don't even know where it came from. It was just what I was supposed to do for her. It was right. just what I was supposed to do. And I sat down to do a lot of conjuring for that. And the energy and the focus that I had to have during the process that it was it was crazy. No doubt. I'm so glad to hear that you feel that she was honored in a beautiful way. 100 percent. It ended with the whole room dancing to Beyonce. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, without further ado, the one, the only, the amazingly beautiful grave woman. This podcast addresses death, difficult emotional content, and contains profanity. Listen with... Your own motherfucking discretion. <laughs> <laughs> Get your kids. This is Grief After Dark. Uh, welcome to Grief After Dark, everybody. Yes, welcome. And welcome, Joelle. Thank you, Mickey and Dee, so much for having me. It is such an honor to be here chatting with you guys. My name is Joelle Simone Anthony. I am a licensed funeral director, embalmer, insurance agent, sacred death and grief care practitioner, and death care educator. And my life is pretty much dedicated to educating people and professionals about the death care industry. And more specifically now in my career, helping people take a more spiritual and holistic approach to death, dying, transition, and the way that we understand and navigate grief. And I want to circle back to what you said, Dee, about there not being a lot of Black people or Black women in particular doing this type of work. As you said, you live in New Mexico, but here in the South, girl, we are everywhere and killing it. Yes. <laughs> killing it. That, yes. that delights me in all the ways. That's good to hear. So what drew me to your account was, like we just said, it's seeing somebody who looks like me doing death work. It's so important to have representation. And mm -hmm. in, in our town, we don't have a lot of that. So as I've been following your account, I've been learning so much about the death care industry. And um, can you tell me a little bit about your courses for practitioners? For sure. Um, so let's go all the way back to January of 2020. I released my first course, which is entitled Cultural Competency, Black Hair, Skin and Cosmetic Care for Death Care Professionals. And this course was born out of my frustration as a Black professional working in predominantly white funeral homes, where when a Black or BIPOC individual, deceased or family, would come into the funeral home, everybody would just kind of look at me. Or when there's a Black woman on the embalming table, and I walk in and the licensed funeral director is cutting her box braids out from her scalp. Mm. Oh my God. Yes. And thank God he was doing it from the back and he didn't have any malice in what he was doing. But the fact that mortuary science education 
does not take into consideration that Black people and BIPOC individuals die. White people aren't the only people that die. So why were we only taught when I was in school, which is what, about ooh, 2012? Mm-hmm. Why weren't we taught about caring for the needs of Black and BIPOC individuals? Mm-hmm. So that course was the start. And let's fast forward to May of 2020, when unfortunately George Floyd was murdered. I was so frustrated because I was hearing professionals in my industry make comments about Black decedents and their bodies and Mm -hmm. about that whole situation. And instead of approaching it from a point of anger, myself and my mentor, Anita Grant, decided that this would be the perfect teaching opportunity for us to have a real life conversation about racism in the death care industry. People mm-hmm. seem to think that um, death somehow eliminates segregation and eliminates, you know, the biases and the prejudices that we live with in our walking lives. But unfortunately, that is not the case. The funeral industry prior to that course being released was one of the most racist industries that I've ever worked in. And that course sent a shockwave throughout the industry, luckily, and created a platform for me to create other courses that talked about things that affect my community and people that look like me from a professional and a voice of education and not anger. In the last six months, my courses have shifted from practical knowledge and on-the-job trainings to now taking a more spiritual look at death, dying, grief, transition, and how we navigate those journeys. And it's been such a blessing to not only be able to talk to professionals, but now also consumers about their experience. That's incredible. (laughs) That's incredible. (laughs) Incredible work. What's, What's so interesting to me about some of these conversations that we've had is there are so many things that never occurred to me as a point of it's an issue. I was talking to my husband this morning because I was looking at, at some of the work that you do and some of the educating that you do. And I live, you know, my town is severely lacking diversity. It's one of my gripes about the town that I live in much as I like it. And I told my husband, I was like, if a black person dies in Durango, do the people here even have skincare product? Like, do they, they're not going to have what they need to service right. this person. And that's just, that's just my little town. I mean, this obviously sounds like it could be a huge, huge epidemic. The other interesting thing that I honestly never thought about is the stigma around morticians. Yes. People in your work. I mean, you must really, well, and looking at your Instagram page, the, the video that you made about Please talk to us about the video you made about the crazy questions that you get and somebody asking you, is that like a common question? Do dead people sit up after they die? Oh my God. Oh my God. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that question. And it's all, it's always the joke. It's either that or, um, Hey, what do you do? I'm a funeral director. Oh, I bet people are just dying to see you. Like it's oh, always something crazy or corny. And, you know, you laugh every time. But like in, in that video, like my inside is just crawling. Like, please just leave me the hell alone. Don't right. ask me that question. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. But um, you're absolutely right. And not just in Durango, Colorado, but here in Atlanta, I've been in prep rooms in Atlanta 
This is like the Mecca for Black people. I've been in prep rooms in predominantly white funeral homes where they don't have the products that are needed to take care of our hair and our skin. And it is extremely frustrating. But again, I'm an educator. So I always approach things from the perspective of, well, maybe this person just doesn't know, or maybe this firm doesn't know. Now I can tell you that I faced most of the resistance for the information that I provide in my courses from funeral homes in the South. Now, isn't that interesting? That is interesting. Wow. Yeah. Not just funeral homes, but death care service providers, because the death care industry is so vast. There's so many different career paths. And I don't think people understand that either. There are more than just morticians, embalmers, um, funeral directors. You now have death doulas. You have advanced planning professionals. You have insurance agents. You have people that take care of the paperwork and the moving and clearing space after people die. So most of my audience, surprisingly, has been in the Midwest and the West Coast. Mm. Wow. That's just, it's simply incredible. And I'm so proud. I'm just so proud. (laughs) I I can't even tell you. Um, When my daughter died, that was one of the things is that I, I had learned after the fact that I could have gone to take care of her myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't get a chance to do that. So when we saw her body, I redid her hair because they, you know, combed out all of her curls. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm j- and I just was like, oh, I really wish I had known that I could have taken care of her myself because I absolutely would have and just done it because there was nobody who looked like us that was able to take care of her in that way. It's really beautiful. And thank you for sharing your work with everybody. I mean, and I'm really digging your your uh, Spirit Speaks videos. I saw those and I'm just like, yeah, this is what we should be doing, y'all. <laughs> what is a one of your favorite parts of your work? What is my one of my favorite parts of my work? Yes. It, that's a good question because your work is is really wide reaching. I mean, I, I checked out the courses on your website and you're teaching a lot about a lot. I mean, it's a very broad spectrum. So yeah, I would be interested too in hearing what, what some of your favorite things are to tackle. I'm sure before I get into that, I just want to say that I'm extremely sorry for your loss. The, um, I cannot imagine what it was like to go through losing a child. I pray that is not an experience I ever have, but right. I- to say thank you for showing up and holding this space and allowing me to be a part of it. Mm, thank you. So what is my, that's a really good question. Um, right now, I am really enjoying being led by spirit to have conversations about death, dying, and grief that people are not having. Mm-hmm. It's like, perfect example, Sunday I was in the shower and I did a YouTube series two years ago about grief and the zodiac signs, right? Mm, and really? I'm in the shower. Yes. Mm-hmm. They're still up on YouTube, but I, I will did. Find that. <laughs> yes. Um, now, do I, I am in no way, shape, or form an astrologer, but spirit literally sat me down and had me do that research and regurgitate my research, right? Uh-huh. And so uh-huh. I'm in the shower this past Sunday, just washing my butt, thinking I'm going <laughs> to. Oh, sorry. My dog's going crazy. Hold on, one second. Oh, Dean, it's what not going to be just you this week. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> it's usually these dogs and cats going ape shit. So that's nice. Look at it. We mixed it up. 
you were in the shower washing your butt, minding your own business. Yes, I was in the shower washing my butt, minding my own business. <laughs> and spirit literally yelled in my ear. And I it didn't even say it, yelled in my ear. You need to go back to those YouTube videos and go deeper with the astrological signs and building rituals around grief that align with people's astrological signs. I have and chills. I'm like, what? I don't I, know anything about that. My whole body, my whole body has chills. <laughs> yep. We have a whole oracle group. This is a mm. thing. We're going to do this. <laughs> yes. And so for the past two days, I've been working on this self-study e-course that is all about building rituals around your astrological sign while navigating your journey with grief. So that is my absolute favorite part. And I'm going to tell you guys, I was so scared. Um, Spirituality has always been a huge part of my life, but it's almost like I equate it to my private parts. Like you don't want everybody to see your private parts. You don't want everybody to touch them. Nobody really needs to know they're there. They're just a part of you, right? (laughs) Right. So when spirit started talking to me about, (laughs) yes, or prompting me to really like, you need to put this out there. Like people need to hear this. Like you're not the only person that thinks this way. You're not the only person who's into this weird shit. Like you need to put it out there. I was so scared because I've built this reputation, not intentionally as this teacher and this educator. What are people going to think when I'm talking about your chakras and, you know, experiences talking to spirit? And I'm like, oh my God, really? But it has been the most freeing thing because I think that the way that we have been taught to deal with death and talk about grief, especially in the black community. I mean, it's for everybody, but my priority is my community. Absolutely. It's like, guys, this is our essence. This is what we are about. This is what we know and what unfortunately was taken from us, but there's so much here and there's so much healing here. So I think shifting from, oh, I'm a funeral director. Yeah. I work with dead people. Yeah. 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 And those are, I mean, I love death care. I love what I do serving families in the funeral home and all that stuff, but this is where it's at for me, man. This is where it's at. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I can tell you from just the chair I'm sitting in, it's so relatable Every single video I watched of yours on Instagram was so relatable to me. And the timing of them is, is always so interesting and so dialed in. And I think that's how things work when you get in, in that flow, in the, in the stream of, you know, channeling is such a weird word, but when you're, when you're really tuned in to your path, I actually watched the video this morning um, where you were talking about how you don't need to overachieve when you're mm. on your path, just walk the path and calm down already. Yeah, yes. I, I watched that one too. I was like, mm-hmm, this is what we should be doing, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, and I'm, yes. like, I'm super intrigued because I 100% have never heard anybody talk about astrological signs grieving particular ways. It makes perfect sense. I mean, Mm -hmm. we can break down the signs by personality traits and what we lean towards and what we're, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of have aversions to. So why would that not apply to grief? You know, that's that's literally what I wrote in the description for this class, Ah. because and I don't even want to call it class. I call it time together, a project, because I don't feel like I am well versed enough in astrology or 
the signs to say I'm teaching something. This is literally just spirit inspired information that I'm sharing with other people. Mm-hmm. Now, we're talking about something technical as far as it relates to doing a job as a funeral director or a death care professional, 100% all day I can teach you. But for me at this point, with these spiritually based or influenced courses, it's just about sharing information. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Sharing information. I'm so excited. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I'm so excited. This is amazing. That's so amazing. It's incredible. And I can't wait for you to do it. I just, and I can't wait to share it with all of my groups either. Thank you. Yeah. What is your advice for folks when they're pre-planning for death? How funny. That's what I was just going to ask. Oh, really? Oh, man. (laughs) So my advice for people when they're pre-planning for death is, um, and it's so interesting because this ties into our whole conversation, but yes, you have to take care of the legalities. You have to take care of the formalities and you have to have difficult conversations with people, but it's always important when pre-planning for your death or your transition or your passing, whatever phrasing you're comfortable with, that you take into account that you are not just looking at what you've accumulated and how you want to be disposed or your disposition method, but you are literally creating something that reflects the essence of your individuality. And you can do that in whatever way you choose. There are so many options out there. There's so many ways to commemorate life tap into your uniqueness and don't try to do things in a cookie cutter format. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I talk a lot about in my spiritual funeral planning one-on-one class. Of course, we go over all of the technicalities, the key people and the definitions for things and what's on a funeral contract and what you need to know about insurance and things like that. But then we also do what I call the five, four, three, two, one method for writing out your life story or writing out who you are as an individual, funerals are not for the dead. They're for the living. And I hate when I see people put so much energy into creating a funeral that they're not going to be there for instead of approaching it from the perspective of how do I tell my life story? Mm. Do you find that a lot? Do you find that more often than not people are approaching it from sort of a more linear place and not really thinking about the spiritual side of things. I guess that's kind of, I mean, most of the funerals that I've been to, that has definitely been the case. I think that that is a very difficult conversation to answer because all of my clients have been so diverse from pre-planning to at need, which is when someone passes away and they, uh, the family or next of kin or whoever's making the arrangements has to come into the funeral home. I think that people are so overwhelmed mm. by the process because they aren't prepared for what it actually entails. You have to make a lot of decisions in a very short amount of time. So from that aspect, yes, it is very linear. However, um, I think it's our job as professionals to educate consumers and not just do what's best for our bottom line. Yes. Well, and that's really, it's more of a focus on, on bringing love into the celebration Mm -hmm. rather Mm -hmm. than just dealing with these rudimentary, I mean, that all has to happen too, but, but to really bring the love and celebration and emotion into the experience rather and, and how healing 
how much more healing that would be. This is so contrary. I have to tell you, (laughs) this is very contrary to a lot of the death experiences that I've been through in my life. It's, it has been a total clusterfuck for lack of a better word. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Yeah. Like some, some real pre-thought and you got me thinking. You got me and thinking. See, that's what it's about. And see, you asked, let me circle back for a second. That's one of my, that's another favorite part. When people's, I can literally see, like I'm looking at your face right now. I can literally see when people's perspective change mm. about death and dying. That like, that to me is invaluable because it's like, yeah, this is going to happen. And yes, this sucks. But you do not have to look at it the way that we've been taught, which is very fear-based, which is very avoidant-based, which is very, ooh, that's going on with them. I don't want any part of that. Let me just get away from that. We don't have to approach it that way. We can have honest, down-to-earth, simple conversations, handle business at the same time, and then get to the real work that needs to be done. Because the number one thing that I see and that breaks my heart is that people have regret. I wish I would have reached out. I wish I would have done this. I wish that she would have gotten the chance to do this. Okay, so how do we not only build a funeral, how do we build a playbook for the rest of the time that you have here? That's what I love about it. Yes. Ooh. I have chills. Me too. Yeah. And the regret thing was one thing that I, cause I was also reading aloud to my husband, Tim, this morning over coffee, the types of things that you discuss in this spiritual funeral planning 101 class. And I was like, regret. Oh my God. <laughs> mm-hmm. Please. Can we approach this before we die? Yeah. And you'd be surprised because um, in that course, we go over the top. I think it's the top seven or five regrets of the dying, maybe 10. I don't remember off top off my head, but um, the things that people regret are so simple. It's like, oh my gosh, you are at the end of your life and this is what you're carrying and how much more powerful. I look at it like legacy building, right? A lot of times we think legacy and finance and things like that, which is wonderful, but how much more powerful would a legacy of freedom and adventure and Mm. autonomy be for those that we love as opposed to saying, oh, grandpa left me a hundred million (laughs) dollars. Okay. But you're still miserable. You're going (laughs) to regret that money at the end of your life. And I'm not saying that money isn't important. I am the number one advocate for people making investments and making, um, wise financial decisions, especially when it comes to pre-planning for end of life, because we all have an end of life. But what good is that money if you have regret? Money can't hold your hand in those final moments. So those friendships and those relationships that you didn't heal, money can't have that final walk on the beach for you. So that trip that you didn't take, those vacation days that you didn't use, like it's deeper than money. Yes. Absolutely. Like I 100% agree. Um, This is the thing that I have learned since my daughter died was that the life that I gave her, I couldn't buy it. And so, you know, I make my decisions now based on like, what would I really want to be doing before I die? And how would I want my kids to take care of that if they are the ones to take care of it? I don't care about money. I don't care what you put me in. You go and burn my body. It's fine. And, and make sure that you take me on an adventure. That is beautifully put, beautifully articulated. 
that was one thing that really struck me. It was like, I, I would not change a thing. And I, every time I decide to spend more time with my kids, even though they get on my nerves sometimes, I don't regret it. I don't regret homeschooling them. I don't regret seeing their faces every day because I know that that's one thing I would say if I were to die or be on my deathbed is that I didn't get enough time with the people that I love. Yeah. Not, I didn't go to work enough. Yeah. And it seems cliche to say, but it, it, it goes fast, man. It goes fast. I'm going to be 46 in a handful of months here. I don't, I don't understand how that happened. (laughs) You look great. Oh, thanks. (laughs) It's these video filters. Uh, all of the great paper shit under my eyeballs is nice and filtered out (laughs) but no I mean time it it flies by do you find that that is one of the more common regrets that you hear is just time spent with loved ones oh that's the number one regret like that is literally it that and then happiness is a choice people figure that shit out when they're dying and it's like wow and i mean it's hard like we all struggle with like right now my intention is to be happy with what i have because i'm very ambitious right mm-hmm. but then what is that ambition costing me <laughs> and when i have like it doesn't stop okay i got this and i'm going to i'm going to want something else or i achieve this and then what's next it doesn't stop so just being happy with what you have. I haven't heard anyone articulated in that way, but it kind of just boils all down to that one thing. You know, we, everything, all the good shit is free. It's free. Your family, Mm -hmm. friends, even if the relationships are strained, because I I understand that as well, but the good stuff is free. And then to circle back to um, what you said about the stigma around funeral directors, there is this, um, and I'm, I scream this from every mountaintop that I can, taking on or answering the call to work in death care is not about poverty. And I think that um, there's some unhealthy thoughts about money and funeral service, but what makes my time any less valuable than your doctor or any less valuable than someone who you don't mind paying your money to. And by no means am I advocating for, you know, funeral directors to take advantage or death care professionals to take advantage of people financially, but I am a big advocate of people knowing their worth. So what is your life worth to you? Hmm. Is it money or is it experience or is it family or is it, what does it mean to you? Absolutely. So we have come to our segment about rapid fire questions. Oh God. Even though, don't worry. They're, they're almost never rapid fire. So no problem. Almost okay. never. Almost never. Uh, but it's our rapid fire section. And okay. what is something you fear might change you? Ooh, something I fear might change me. Grief. Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> that is, that is also my answer. <laughs> Grief. Gosh. What about you, Mick? Well, I'm thinking, uh, I'm almost more concerned about things that don't change me. Mm. Mm. That's sweet. Yeah. Second question. What is one thing people often get wrong about you? Mickey, you go first. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Mickey, you go first. 
<laughs> Mickey, you go first. Oh, um, I laugh because I, <laughs> <laughs> this is a question that Brene Brown asks all of her guests on her podcast. And so I've asked many people this and half joking. I always say that the thing people mostly get wrong about me is that I'm nice. It's not, <laughs> it's not totally accurate. I think sometimes I come across meaner than I am. And sometimes I come across nicer than I am. I think one thing that people often get wrong about me is that I have my, sh- I think I, I look more grounded than I often am. <laughs> and I think I paint a picture of having my shit together a lot more than I actually do. Mm. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> That's honest. That's vulnerable. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that, um, I don't know if it's because I talk for a living, but I think people are surprised when they meet me in person and they realize how quiet I am. <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, that's along the same lines of my answer too. I, since I've been a performance artist, folks really just think I'm this outgoing soul and they underestimate my ability to hole up in my house for months at a time and never see anybody. <laughs> yes. <laughs> in person, like I will close the curtains if you're on my porch and did not call, I would look you in the face and shut the curtains in your face <laughs> and pretend like I was not here. <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh. Um, do you have a bucket list? And if so, what's one thing that's on it? Ooh. Yeah, I, yes and no. I don't have a official bucket list. Um, One thing that I really want to do that I've been trying to do since 2012 and before, actually since about 2008, is I want to go to Alaska and I would not mind homesteading for six months or longer. Cool. Alaska is accessible. It is. Yeah. And that's why I'm like, I don't know if that should be on the bucket list because it is doable. Well, here's on my bucket list. Here's what's on my bucket list. I want to go to Antarctica. I want to know, feel and see and hear what it's like to see hear, feel, absolutely nothing. Mm. Oh, absolutely nothing. Mm. Nothing. That's a good one. Mm. Yeah, that's, Antarctica is almost like a whole giant sensory deprivation chamber country. Yes. (laughs) I was watching this um, documentary, like I'm obsessed with Antarctica, okay? Like I was watching this documentary called 70 Degrees South. There's this researcher that is um, affiliated with Rutgers University. And he said this and it blew my mind. And I'm going to try to quote him correctly, but he said something to the effect of, it takes longer to get to Antarctica from the US or from South America than it takes a rocket to get to the moon. What? From the U.S. It blew my fucking mind when he said that. Like, I went cold. Is that true? He said it, and I believe him. He's a lot smarter than I am. (laughs) (laughs) And even if it isn't true, he made it sound believable. And I mean, it blew my mind. That's crazy. (laughs) So wild. That's crazy. That, that makes, I mean, shit, that's like, that means going to Antarctica is almost more accessible than the moon. Right. And then to add another layer to that, I would like to know, and this is like my weirdo coming out. I would like to know if the inner earth people are real. Huh? <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> Interesting. Well, that just makes me want to put meet an alien on my bucket list. Yeah. I did not have a bucket list until now. Now I mean, aliens are always on my list. There's one thing (laughs) on my bucket list. It is to meet an alien. Meet an alien. Okay. I I don't have a bucket list. I just, I just have a list of shit I want to do. And there's so much shit I want to do. And aliens is one of the things that I need to know about. It's definitely one of the things. And also like going to Africa and just being Mm. in every country in Africa and, and learning about their death practice. Mm. Cool. That's that's like a large order, but I definitely want to go learn about what's missing in, you know, ancestrally for me. Mm. That's good. I mean, it's a bucket list. Go big or go home, right? Hey, right. It's it's just a list. I, I, it's a list. (laughs) It's a list of shit I hope to do. That wraps us up, y'all. Gosh. Yeah, we could go on for a long Forever. time. Yeah, we could make this a long, long, long podcast because I feel like I could sit here and talk to Joelle <laughs> and you for a really long time. Thank you. Like, thank you, ladies, for having me. And if you want to do this again, like on my podcast or one of my Oh, yes. Absolutely. I would love to have you. The answer is yes. <laughs> yes. I, I hope very much that this is not the end of, of our interaction and our conversations together. Absolutely. Absolutely not. Yeah. I love I love what you're doing. I love what you're teaching. I'm definitely gonna end up signing up for some of these things that you teach because I'm intrigued and I think it's a hole in my own personal education. So yeah, thank you so much for taking the time today to talk to us and and thank you for your work. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you for having mm, me, ladies. It has been wonderful. Yay. <laughs> Thank you so much.